So for this series, I uh, made a promise to myself that I would sit under a very large maple tree in my backyard as I put my thoughts together each week. And this has become really important for me as I find it spiritually grounding to like be on the ground and in creation. My thoughts about this and my feelings might change as it gets really cold out, <laughs> but I'm going to aim to do so anyway. I mentioned last week that we were moving into a season where our attention moves to being rooted in place, connected to the land, to its story, and to all beings in a decolonized way. So we're going to pay attention to how connection to the land is connection to God. Today we're going to continue in our survey of the Old Testament as we consider the land from which we have come and the land to which we will return as we find our place in the ever-unfolding story of God. Last Wednesday marked the beginning of what is known as Latinx Heritage Month here in the United States, and so in keeping with highlighting voices of those who have profoundly shaped the church, particularly outside of our Western white evangelical context, I'd actually like to read the words of Justo L. Gonzalez for us this morning from his book, Manana. This is a book I picked back up this week. Um, and funny enough, I came upon his words after having just discussed the second creation last week on Sunday. But I think he kind of sums up where we were last week for us as we move into today. And so I want to read his words as he um, speaks about what the second narrative of creation tells us about our place in the universe. He says this, we are made of earth. That means that we do not stand over against nature, but are rather a part of it. We are not higher beings who can look down upon nature with utter detachment. When we look at nature, we look at ourselves, for we are part of it. One aspect of the goodness of God's creation is that we are made out of dirt. He continues, but I won't read any more for you. In today's text, it's a familiar story. We're going to look at the story of Moses and the burning bush. And as I was reading it this week, I was reminded of how true Gonzalez's words are. Moses doesn't look down upon nature with utter detachment. And there's something profound about um, the bush, what is happening not only in the bush, but upon the ground on which Moses stands. There's a connection to the ground that ends up breathing life an inspiration not only for Moses, but for an entire people group. So we're going to turn there this morning. It is Exodus chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. And again, like I did last week, I'm going to insert the original Hebrew word for ground, which is Adama, um, into the reading. And after I read, we're going to engage in a little bit of conversation differently than we did last week. I'm going to interject kind of my thoughts and observations as we are talking this week instead of vice versa, okay? So as you, as you are listening, you might be thinking about what connection to the land and therefore to God is the text drawing us toward, okay? If you'd like, I'm actually going to take off my shoes, be a little bit more grounded, even though I'm standing on concrete, which just feels weird, but whatever. Um, and I'm going to ask that you kind of settle into your...
All right. Chapter 3 of Exodus. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy Adama. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians, to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jezebites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. This is the word of the Lord. All right. So as you heard that text, what connection to the land and therefore to God might you sense it drawing you or us toward. What do you notice? What stands out? Mm. 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 That's lovely. Autumn was just saying that when she's read this before, the whole take off your shoes bit was mostly about get those dirty things kind of like off your feet. And this time when she heard it, more of a connection, like take off whatever is keeping you separated from me and from God. Lovely.
Yeah. So Brooke is just kind of reflecting on, um, and I'm repeating only because I think not everyone can hear you. I assume that's correct. Um, Brooke was just reflecting on kind of this story as having just been like a vignette in kind of the, the scene of Moses's life, but maybe there's more to it than that, that this, this is really a moment that has defined kind of Moses's relationship with God or, or who he understands God is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hey, this is something special. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah so joel's just reflecting on uh this burning bush is kind of an out of the ordinary it's not like leaves here on the ground sort of a thing it's uh kind of in your face like um are you paying attention sort of thing and how are we connecting that to the, like the ordinary um Yeah, and taking those steps of just recognizing that, that God is, is moving and speaking. Yeah. A couple of things that I uh, observed earlier this week was that, you know, this, this flame that's in the bush, right? Um, God is drawing attention through kind of this mysterious thing. Like, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I've never seen a burning bush that isn't consumed. So, like, that seems pretty, like, out of the ordinary, right? And Moses doesn't, like, look down upon it, right? He he actually turns his attention toward it. Um, and one of the things that I, I observed in just recognizing that was that Moses is maybe recognizing what we would call panentheism, which is understanding that God is with or in all things, that God is present. Um, and that curiosity then leads to an opportunity, right, to hear from God. And so in the same way that Joel is is responding here. Um, I just kind of wonder what that means for us 
I wonder how our own listening and learning, right, might lead to hearing from God on the ground upon which we stand, recognizing it as holy. Like, whatever is separating you can be removed. Um, Yeah, remove the sandals from your feet, right? This ground, the Adama, is holy. There is a connection to God. I think what's interesting about this particular location in Scripture is this is a mountain. Um, this is Mount Horeb, which later on, as, as Brooke mentioned, becomes the site in which uh, the Ten Commandments are shared, right? Um, it is another name for Mount Sinai, right? And so I think part of the good news for us today is that we hear from God when we yield to the ground upon which we stand, right? That, that God is present and speaking. Um, God is revealing God's self in and through this the Adama, the ground. And we need to pay attention, right? Like Joel's saying, we pay attention to what these mysterious points are around us um, and curious about what God might be saying to us. What else sticks out? Mm-hmm. Yeah, how does God get our attention? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Brooke is just reflecting kind of on her her own upbringing and, and reading this story in very, like, a literal way, um, but it being kind of a thing of history. Um, and now reading it and hearing it and wondering um, and connecting with it in a way that, like, it's relatable. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So just kind of noting that God responded to Moses because Moses gave attention to the bu- the bush. And so yeah, wondering what would have happened if Moses didn't give attention to that bush. Another thing that jumped out to me this week was we see in verse 7, we read the words um, observed, heard, and know. And these three words like indicate that God understands what represented the people's pain. Um, and so br- God, God is promising um, to bring the people out of, out of that place of pain, out of a land that has been used to oppress them. Um, and ultimately, the promise of God is worked out by taking the side of the oppressed. So there's justice that will be brought as people are liberated, right? Brought out of this land of Egypt that is really connected to their pain and oppression. A land that has been used to enslave them, right? And as I was reflecting on that, I I just really felt like it was important to confess that the land continues to be used today locally and globally, to oppress people. And while that remains true, and we can confess that, we can also lament that using the land to oppress people in turn keeps the land oppressed as well. And God is doing something very different here in this text. Yeah, Brenda. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. It's literally my next point in my notes. I don't have an answer, but I have some insight that I found helpful this week. Um, here's the thing. God promises to bring the people out of this oppressive land, right, and into this, this land that is broad and flowing, right, with milk and honey. What's interesting to note is that throughout the Old Testament, there's an ongoing connection between land and a definition of who God's people are. But once we get to the New Testament, there's not that connection. The connection is the kingdom, right, of God. It becomes the focal point of Jesus's ministry, not the the land or the parcels of land, right? Even so, then, I think in reading the Old Testament, it's also good to be reminded that the land belongs to God. All the land belongs to God, okay? So Leviticus 25, 23 says this, Land will not be sold absolutely, for land belongs to me, and you are only strangers and guests of mine. So this is all land that belongs to God already. We're not going to have time to go into, like, all the depths of discussion around land, uh, particularly in the U.S. And we can recognize even this month, maybe really importantly, that um, the U.S. throughout history has annexed land, right? 
We annex land from Mexico, right? And therefore oppressing Latinx people even today. But we might do well to remember these words from Leviticus, right? As we engage in discussion around immigration and migration, right, today. But what I found really interesting, uh, there's an author, uh, his name is Naeem Atik, uh, and he wrote an article in a book that I have called Voices of the Margins. And it is a compilation of voices from all over the world in regards to scripture and the stories that are presented in scripture from a different view, from the margins. And he says this, the promise after the exile was not about land and nationhood, but about the outpouring of God's spirit on the people. And we can read this in Isaiah 44, verses 3 through 4. It says this, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. They shall spring up like, gre like green tamarisk, like willows by flowing streams. We can also read in Psalm 24, verse 1, it says this, To Yahweh belongs the earth in all it contains the world, and all who live there. So I think as we wrestle with this question, Brenda, of what's going on here, I think it's really helpful to put things into that, into that broader perspective of the land all belongs to God and what, what is actually being promised is eventually a blessing of the Spirit, not necessarily so tied to nation and borders. Right? Yeah. What else? Right. Yeah, Brooks just reflecting on that initial promise right there in that passage is to bring the people out of a land that is oppressive and bring them into this land where there will be neighbors. And so Brooke just reflecting on she cannot believe in a God who would um, move in a genocidal way. Yeah. I think that goes in in connection with some of my other observations with this call, and you mentioned this before, uh, this is kind of a defining moment for Moses and maybe how Moses relates to God. And I think it's interesting to note that it is here on this holy like ground, the Adama, that Moses receives what I would term his call, right? Um, to engage with, with God in this work of justice, right, of liberation. 
But a couple of interesting observations about what this looks like here in this text. We notice that this call for Moses is outside of the religious community, number one. And it is outside of what might be deemed otherwise as a holy place. This doesn't occur at a temple. There's nothing to look around at and go, well, that has to be where God is speaking, right? Because that place is designated as holy. And yet this would not be the last time that God would use a non-traditional setting, right, to speak a word. Later on, we would claim that God spoke a word through Jesus, in the incarnation, again, in a non-traditional way. So I think it's interesting to think about that connection and how Moses' call sits outside of that non-traditional setting. And it's a call to engage in this work of justice. Also, I think we might notice that uh, Moses is one who had also been oppressed, right? I mean, There was a command to kill him at birth, right, as a Hebrew child. And growing up in Pharaoh's household put him in a place of privilege. One of my most favorite authors, I read um, Paulo Freire's book, Pedagogy of the Oppressed, when I was in college. And it has forever shaped the way I engage in the world. Um, And Freire says this, he says, it is only the oppressed who, by freeing themselves, can free their oppressors. It is only the oppressed who, by freeing themselves, can free their oppressors. And in today's language, I see this a lot when I am exposed to what is um, often called survivor-led healing or trauma work. Survivor-led I think Moses is engaging in survivor-led healing, which eventually frees the oppressor. We don't see this until later on, but I think this freeing of the oppressor comes when the Hebrew people enfold all Gentiles, that would include the Egyptians, right, into the kingdom of God. We see this later, right? So there's something important and defining about this moment even, not only for Moses, but an entire people group. And because Moses is so unsure of his calling, God makes a promise, right? You will know that I sent you to Pharaoh when you return to the land, right? You're going to return here to worship. And I think that's an important thing to note as well, that oftentimes God will speak to us in place, and sometimes we need to return to that place as well. Anything else before we wrap up? More observations than answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Leslie's just connecting that, that God in the burning bush chose to also preserve the bush. 
and there's a strong connection there with God's maybe posture or relationship with nature in kind of that choosing to preserve the bush in the midst of, of that call. I want to leave us this morning with some words that I feel are healing. Spoiler alert for those of us reading Braiding Sweetgrass. This is from Robin Wall Kimmerer's book here. But later in the book, she says, I suppose that's the way we humans are, thinking too much and listening too little. But paying attention acknowledges that we have something to learn from intelligences other than our own. Listening, standing witness, creates an openness to the world in which the boundaries between us can dissolve. And I think it's the boundaries between us, creation, God, one another, right? So my prayer for us is that we would be a people who would yield to the Adama as a place where God is revealing God's self, that we might pause in these places when we find ourselves in these moments where things catch our attention in creation, that we might pay attention to what God might be speaking to us today. Maybe not, and maybe a burning cell phone. I don't know. We'll see. Amen. You can uh, turn to the Lord's Table liturgy there in your bulletin.